Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you, Chris and the worship team. Appreciate your ministry to us and helping us sing and worship the Lord. This morning we are finishing up the series, The King and the Kingdom, that we've been in for the last few weeks. And today, specifically, the topic this morning is going to be God's great mission of that kingdom. Speaking of missions, I remember growing up, my, one of my favorite TV shows was uh, called The Mission Impossible. I don't know if you remember that. Today, it's the Mission Impossible movies that are so exciting. But believe it or not, that show was about five missionaries who each week accepted these extremely daring and, and death-defying impossible missions. Uh, every episode left me sitting on the edge of my seat, biting my fingernails down to the knuckles, wondering whether these five missionaries were going to make it out of out alive of uh, exploding buildings or a hail of bullets or torturous dungeons or, uh, uh, or the, the like, um, whatever it would be. But, of course, they always did. And then we had another episode next week. Um, at the beginning of the TV series, um, in the very first episode, the very first mission, the Impossible Mission Force team leader, uh, whose name was Dan Briggs, assembles his team of missionaries for the very first time. The mission was to recover two stolen nuclear warheads that are hidden away in a bank vault in Costa Rica. The thief was a rogue general by the name of Rio Dominguez who uh, compromised his country's national security by stealing the warheads in an attempt to put them on the black market to be sold to the highest bidder. The missionaries were Peter Graves, Peter Lupus, dating myself here, Greg Morris, uh, Martin Landau, and Barbara Bain. Um, But today, I mean, it was exciting stuff for a little kid uh, at that time. I loved it. And look forward every week uh, to that to those missions. Um, this morning we're talking about uh, a mission of a different kind. It's uh, found in Matthew 28. If you want to turn to your Bibles, Matthew 28. It's on page uh, 835 in the Bible on the back of the seat there in front of you. And after Matthew had written about everything that Jesus had done and taught, he leaves us with. One final thought from the lips of Jesus here in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And we're all familiar with it. It's called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Let's read it together. Chapter 16. Uh, First of all, let me make make a a comment. This paragraph that we have here is rooted in Old Testament thinking. And so in a little bit, we're going to show how it's rooted and what those roots are. But I want to just pick out a few words as we read it to, for you to remember. Um, the word go in 19, and the word nations in 19, and then in verse 20, the phrase, behold, I am with you. Just remember, log those into your brain. Those are a picture, if you would, roots coming out of, actually, they're going down the other way towards the Old Testament that ties this passage with Jesus being a, 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 a very well-educated Hebrew student uh, to the Old Testament. So let's, let's read that together. Chapter 16, chapter 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples 
went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All the all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And there's the first word, go. Picture that go just driving itself back down to the Old Testament. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's the second word with roots driving itself down back to the Old Testament. Baptizing them, name, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And now the phrase, and behold, I am with you. Also roots driving back down into the Old Testament. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're probably very familiar with this paragraph. Um, it's one that we've heard over and over and over again. And we seem to always go away after reading it or hearing messages about it. That This is talking about individual Christians that are supposed to be going leaving our place of home and country and family and crossing borders and going somewhere else to tell people about Jesus. That's, that's a little portion of it. Um, hopefully this morning we'll fill a little bit more out um, and realize that this paragraph is about being a missionary, um, but we want to be able to answer one question right up front, is that if, if it is about being a missionary, um, then what's the mission? Just like the Mission Impossible missionaries had a mission each week that they were able to fulfill. The question is, what is God's mission for us here? And so to do that, we're going to begin at the beginning. We're going to go back and trace these roots back to Genesis. So let's do that, starting with Genesis chapter 12. God speaks to Abram, whose name he later changed to Abraham. And he says this, the Lord said to Abraham, go. That's our first root. From your country and your kindred. A lot of times I think we are taking this phrase and planting that in Matthew. But notice Matthew, Jesus does not say that in Matthew. Jesus is not asking us to go anywhere, leave any country, leave any home in Matthew, right? But he is saying a form of go. Go from your country and your kindred to the land that I will show you, and I will bless you, so that you will be a blessing, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So we have go, and we have nations as two root words in Genesis that we see in Matthew. What's very interesting about this is that this is the first mention of God's mission uh, to Abraham. But 50 years later, about 50 years later, God says the very same thing to Abraham's son, Isaac. He says, I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Again, reiterating his great mission. What's exciting again about this is about 50 years later, God says the same thing to Isaac's son, Jacob. He says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And there's our next phrase. Behold, 
I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. So three times then we see God's mission in the Old Testament repeated first to Abraham, then to Isaac, and then to Jacob. So that whenever we see this phrase, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what he's referring to, and automatically if you were a, a Jewish person taught in Jewish customs, which most Jewish people are back, or were back then, you would automatically think blessing all nations. And you would be thinking of God's mission statement or mission to bless all nations. Some of us might work every day in an organization um, that places high value on establishing mission statements and knowing what that mission statement is. Uh, in today's business world, mission statements are, are very critical to an organization's performance. Here's what businessdictionary.com says about mission statements. The mission statement of an organization is the cornerstone on which an organization is built. And it's the mission statement that guides the actions of an organization, spells out its overall goal, provides a path, and guides decision-making. It provides the framework or context within which the company's strategies are formulated. It is like a goal for which the company, for what a company wants to do for the world. Okay? It's like a goal for what the company wants to do for the world. If that's true, then God's mission statement here to bless all nations should guide God's organization. You and me here, sitting here this morning, his church. It should spell out our overall goal and provide a path for us for what God wants us to do in this world and in your world and in my world. So from the beginning, we understand that God's great mission is to be an effort from generation to generation to bless all nations on the earth. The word nations refers to culture groups or people groups or language groups or even ethnic groups. The word is often translated nations, peoples, families, um, and even, uh, well, languages and even Gentiles. Whenever you see the word Gentiles in the New Testament, more so in the Old Testament, or less so in the, New, in the Old Testament, but more so in the New Testament, 99% of the time it's referring, it's, it's this same word. That's referring to language groups, people groups, ethnic groups, um, and it's just translated Gentiles. So it's, it's uh, and we'll see that in a second. So that's a big job to bless all nations of 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 the world. Um, do we even know how many nations, how many language groups, people groups there are in the world? According to Global Frontier Missions, there's over sixteen thousand nations or people groups in the world. And there are other organizations besides uh, Global Frontier Missions that are actually tracking how many people groups and how many nations of the world that are out there and how many actually have been blessed and how many have not yet been blessed. What would you guess would be the number 
Out of the 16,000 nations of the world, how many of those have been blessed? 195, 1950, 905, 797, 7,097 or 7, or 979. If you said 7,000, you would be correct according to uh, Global Frontier Missions. That's about half the world. Half of God's mission is complete at this point as we sit here on Super Bowl Sunday. So, we started looking at the beginning uh, to find God's mission. And we know what that mission is, right? To bless all nations. But what exactly is that mission supposed to ultimately accomplish? If we could say God has blessed the nation, what does that mean? What's it look like? Well, if I want to find out what the end of something looks like, then I have to go to the end of something to find that out, right? So that's what we'll do. We'll start um, at the end and, 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 and find out. Stephen Covey, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's the author of, of uh, The Seven Habits of Effective People. He says that in order to be the most effective in any task, we must begin with the end in mind. Meaning, we have to know what we want to accomplish first before we actually set out to accomplish it. So if we have a mission, we ought to know exactly what we're trying to accomplish, right? So that's what we'll do. We will begin with the end in mind. You envision something as to what it should be, and then you set out a mission to accomplish that. Let's illustrate that. Before... Way before there were um, any first strikes of chisel uh, on this granite, a guy by the name of Gutzon Borglum and his son had a vision for this piece of rock. Both he and his son uh, were credited with conceiving the idea of carving the likenesses of famous people into this rock in Black Hills region of South Dakota. Their vision resulted in Mount Rushmore. In the same, for, for me, that's just incredible that somebody could look at that piece of rock and envision that, uh, what they accomplished down below and then set out a group of men to actually make that happen. That's just incredible. But in the same way, what's even equally and more so incredible is that God can look at us, says sinful mankind, and, and, and envision for us something so incredible, and then set out on a mission to produce that as well. So let's look at what the end, what God has in the end in mind. Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9 through 12. John, who's had many visions, in this one he says, I looked and behold a great multitude, so many people that it was impossible to count. A great multitude that no one could number. And who were these people? People from every tribe, every nation, every, every, every peoples and languages. The very same people that are mentioned to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Very same people that are mentioned in Matthew chapter 28. And what were these people doing? They were standing before the throne, symbolic of submission to God's authority as king, and before the Lamb... Symbolic of Jesus being slain on the cross, his blood shed on behalf of us, offering forgiveness and salvation. 
And the, the people being clothed in white robes, symbolic of their sinlessness now, their holiness, their blameless, blamelessness that Jesus has accomplished. And what's not on there, if you can remember the end of that verse, all of them are doing what? Holding and waving palm leaves in act of worship to Jesus. So this great mission to bless all nations of the earth is intended to produce multitudes of overwhelmingly grateful people because they realize that they have been declared righteous by God through their faith in Jesus. That's a, amen. That's a statement each one of us ought to think. Is that me? Am I overwhelmingly grateful for the salvation that Jesus has provided me, that it causes me in response to worship and adore him. I used to think that mission, or that the mission of the church was missions. I thought that our purpose was, was missionary work. I used to think that our, our job, my job and our job was to convert people. But that's not what John is telling us here. The end of what, what God saw for all of the blessings of the nation, uh, John Piper says it well. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. In other words, as a church, we don't exist to do missions. Even though today, at the end of this message, we're going to be sending out missionaries, we don't exist to send out missionaries. Although we must go, as this passage indicates, this passage is not about commanding us to go. John Piper says, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Worship is. The end goal of us proclaiming Jesus is that people realize that they have been made holy and blameless so that they may worship. That is the end goal. And so the goal of missions is not, sorry, missions is not the, the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Worship is the goal of missions. Where are we at here? Worship is the goal of missions. And I think this is really what Paul's talking about in Ephesians. Where he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. God's blessing to the Gentiles, you and me. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the mission. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. That was way before the mission. To be what? Holy and blameless. Which ultimately results or should ultimately result in us responding back to God in worship. So are you guys with me so far? So for people like us who understand that we have been made holy and blameless, our natural response should be to turn that appreciation back onto the one who made us holy and blameless. So not only is worship the goal of missions, missions exist because worship doesn't. Think about that for a second. Missions exist because worship doesn't. If my next door neighbor does not worship Jesus, I've got a mission. If the police officer 
who pulls me over does not worship Jesus, I've got a mission. If the supermarket attendant does not worship Jesus, I have a mission. If the people in Sierra Leone do not worship Jesus, I have a mission. If the people in Uganda or wherever, missions exist because worship doesn't. Look at this verse here, Matthew 24, 14. The gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed to all nations and then the end will come. Why must the gospel be proclaimed? Because God wants everybody to get the opportunity and have access to his forgiveness and salvation so that they can be declared holy and blameless so that they will be able to worship. That's the end goal. So the gospel must be preached first before people are able to truly worship out of a sense of gratitude. Without the gospel message first, there is no salvation. Without salvation first, there is no gratitude. Without gratitude, there is no worship. So the gospel first must be preached so that people might know the depth of our sinfulness on one hand and then the greatness of God's salvation on the other hand. Once that realization takes place and once we realize that God has declared us righteous by our faith in him, ultimately that should result in a response back to God of adoration and worship. Once we're at that place, then worship then becomes the fuel or the motivation for us to get involved in blessing the nations and completing the Great Commission. Okay? Having said all of that, with that background and roots from the Old Testament, we can see that God's great vision, worship, is really the heart of the Great Commission. That's the goal. That's the core. That's the in. That's where all things point. So having said all of that, let's jump back to Matthew 28 and see how that fits together. Starting in verse 16 again. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, what did they do? They worshipped him. So we see ultimately that worship is at the heart of this great commission because that's the first thing that jumps off the page at us. It shows us that this paragraph is not about where the disciples were supposed to go. It's more about what they're supposed to do and who they were supposed to be. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. Just as those disciples were supposed to be active worshipers back then, today, we identify ourselves as disciples by the same criteria active worshipers of Jesus. And it's striking to me that Jesus gives this command to his disciples to disciple all nations, to bless all nations, only after he sees that they're worshiping him. In Matthew 24, what we just read, where Jesus says the gospel must be preached to all nations before the end come, that's just a statement that Jesus makes. There's no command but there's also no identifying the disciples as being worshipers of Jesus either. Only here at the end 
where Jesus sees that the disciples see him and worship him, does he now give them that responsibility to say, okay, now you got it. Take it with you. Go bless you as the worshipers. Go accomplish this, worshiping me among all the nations of the world. So the Great Commission here definitely has roots in the Old Testament sense of God wanting us to worship him. Second thing to notice about the Great Commission here is really, sorry, the disciples have worshiped Jesus. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the Great Commission really is the great commission. This is God's great mission. He is now giving that mission to his church, his disciples, you and me. And so there's two ways he does that here. The first one, notice that Jesus is giving ownership to God's uh, great mission to his disciples. Um, He gives them, he addresses them in verse 11. Gives them the, the mission in verse 19. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let's go back. Um, he's given it to the church. The disciples are, 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 are uh, uh, 11 of them, right? Notice the S on disciple. That's important. It means that it's a plurality. Um, Jesus spoke these words to all 11 disciples, not just one. Sometimes we get confused about that and think that because I hear these words, me, number one, I have to go because it's commanded to me personally. Not necessarily, but however, if you believe that God is speaking to you, As an individual here today, um, then please understand that God's speaking to you in the context of all of us as a a church. You as the individual, um, if God is speaking to you about that, will be supported by all of us. It's all of our responsibility. Uh, We will pray for you. We will finance you. We will encourage you. We will train you. And we will make sure that all the nations are blessed as we do that corporately as a church. So God is speaking to and transferring ownership of his great mission to the entire church, not to just to individuals. Second way it's a commission is that we are now co-partners with Jesus himself. In verse 16, he addresses the disciples. Verse 19, Jesus gives them the mission. And then in verse 20, he says, I am with you. Um, Today is Super Bowl Sunday. We all know that, right? Unfortunately, the Seahawks didn't make it there. But they are infamous for uh, something else. Uh, Perhaps you've heard about the Seahawks fans. How a stadium of 67,000 fans can influence the outcome of a football game. Uh, Their fans have been so influential for the team's success that they've been designated the 12th man. Right? Right? Only 11 players in football, American football, are allowed. I guess in soccer, too, would be 11, right? Who knows soccer? Uh, American football, there's only 11 guys on the field at a time. And so, but whenever a, an opposing team plays at CenturyLink Field, the Seattle Seahawks home, home field, the fans are so loud and boisterous that they interfere with the communication of the opposing team. And because they play such a disruptive role... Against the opposing team, they're considered another man, the 12th man. So uh, the Seahawks fans uh, are so infamous of this, they've also set a Guinness Book of World Record for making the most volume that a human entity can make. 
And if you notice the chart here, 137.6 decibels, there's never been anything recorded higher than that that humans can make. Uh, it's just below a jet takeoff 100, at 100 meters. Just below if you were on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier. Uh, that's pretty loud. So they are very influential uh, in being, that, being with those 11. So Jesus is here uh, being that 12th man. And in fact, the Seahawks have been so influential, they've retired uh, that number 12. You'll never see the number 12 on a jersey on a football player on the field anymore. Uh, you might see it flying from the Seattle Space Needle as a uh, uh, designation for the, that 12th man. Um, Jesus here is stepping up by saying, I'm with you as the 12th man with his 11 disciples. Jesus becomes our 12th man. Wherever we go, wherever that may be, Jesus has promised to become our 12th man on the field. His presence has given us the opportunity to be fellow laborers with him. And if worship is the fuel for missions, then there is Jesus right there with us, giving us every opportunity to worship him as we go about the, uh, the business of blessing all peoples. The last point that I like to make about the Great Commission is that there's really um, only one command in this paragraph. And it's not the word go. This is a pretty tough paragraph to translate. Being a Bible translator, I feel for the people who translated this into English. Um, but it's very tough. They've done a great job. But there are some innuendos that we want to want to uh, uh, point out. The word go, when we say English, if I say go, somebody's going to, in English, I'm thinking, well... I want them to do something, and they're going to get up and go. Um, but the word actually is a participle. Um, if we can remember back to our middle school grammar lesson, a participle is a word ending in ing, right? So literally, we could translate it going. Going, bless all nations. But this is in the past tense. And it's, it's, it's easy to put it in the present tense for us, but if, if the past tense of go is went, Past tense plus an ing ending is winting, and it's not good English. You can't say winting, go winting disciples of all nations. It just doesn't make sense. Um, so there's really no way in, to use proper English grammar to say what exactly Jesus is saying here. The best grammar we can get out of this would be having gone. Having gone, disciple all nations. But that's weird too because if if we're giving that to all of us sitting here, you're still here. Having gone, disciple all nations. It still doesn't make sense. We get some help from this from other parts of the Bible, I think, where this word go is used in the past tense with the ing ending in other places. And for the most part, whenever that word is used, there is the word send or sent used previously right before it. I have been sent. Going, I do this. So in, in, in that sense, that's how I think we are to use it. Remember Pastor Scott's messages uh, from Operation Christmas. The entire series was based on John twenty twenty one, where Jesus says, Just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So I think the idea here is that Jesus is expecting us 
to expect that we have already been sent, that we are already on the go, and that wherever we go, we will be blessing the nations. So the command to the disciples is not go, but it is to disciple. It is to be who they really are. And he's doing it to everybody, the collective body as a whole. Uh, So whether it's to the gas station uh, uh, worker, to the shoe store person, the post office, to our neighbor next door, um, God's command is to bless all nations. And it's the same nations that's mentioned throughout Genesis and in Matthew as well. So speaking of the vision that Gutzlan Borglum had, to see the four busts here of Washington, Roosevelt, or, uh, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln um, carved into that vast bulk of granite. That's just an amazing sight. To me, it's just incredible. The reality is, though, that this mission uh, to complete that vision, it's only half complete. This is a carving of what the original vision was intended to be. But due to finances and some other complications and hindrances, that mission remains only half complete. God's great mission, in the same way, with 7,097 people groups still without a blessing in their culture group, God's mission is still incomplete. There still are people next door to you, down the street, at the post office, outside, those joggers along the road, if they don't, are not worshiping, that's where our mission is. As we worship more deeply and honestly, then let's continue to having gone and bless all nations. Let's finish the mission. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. The fact that you have blessed us. You have given us the opportunity to be washed clean from our sin to be counted as holy and blameless in your sight, that you have declared us righteous. And oh, what a great feeling it is that we just want to give back to you our sense of adoration and worship for all that you've done for us. That alone, Lord, qualifies us to be a blessing to the nations. So thank you for blessing us so that we might be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Doug, for sharing with us today what our mission is really all about. At this time, as Pastor Scott said at the beginning of the service, we would like to pray for the mission teams that are heading out out, uh, this week and and next. I would like to invite up here with me Tina Curtiman and Adam Hale, each of whom have been to Sierra Leone once or twice before, and join me in praying for this group. And at this point, I'd like to have the Sierra Leone team come up, Scott and Pamela and Susan and Ray and Chris and also Dr. Aaron David and his son McKenna, or his daughter McKenna, I'm sorry. Um, Aaron's going to be heading up the medical missions team that he had a vision for, having been before, um, a vision to go to Uganda and provide services to folks that are in need in Uganda. So I'm going to start off praying for the Uganda team, represented here by McKenna and, and Aaron. And McKenna, your first trip overseas with your dad, so... Exciting to, to hear about that. And then I'll turn it over to the, the others. Heavenly Father, would you, would you stand with me, please, as we pray?
Heavenly Father, we hear what Doug preached this morning and say that we do desire to worship you in all that we do. And Lord, we pray your blessing on the medical missions team that is heading out in a, in a week and a half. And Lord, we by that blessing, we pray specifically that your hand is with them, that they would you would guide them, you would carry them, you would help them through the difficult parts of the journey, Lord, that you would bless them. And Lord, more than anything, that they would give you praise through all of that. And as they meet people who are in need of medical attention, Lord, that they would give you praise for those people. And Lord, that they would share and be ambassadors for your love and grace and mercy for them. And Lord, for the people that they're going to minister to, that they also would turn praise to you rather than even the doctors and nurses and the volunteers, Lord, that they would give you praise and worship, Lord, for what they're going to experience. So we pray blessing, we pray safety, we pray just the excitement of what you're about to do. We just look forward to hearing your work at hand. We just lift them up to you in Jesus' name. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity that this team has to go to Sierra Leone. I thank you for the relationship that has been developed between Willamette Community Church and Willamette Community Church Moyamba. Um, I pray, Father, that if there's fear or apprehension about this trip, that you would just go before them. You would give them confidence that you have mapped out every detail of this trip. They've answered your call on their hearts for a reason, and I just pray that you would unfold for them what that reason is for each one in particular. I pray for Pastor Scott as he encourages Pastor Patrick that he would um, be able to model for him what it is to be a godly man, a godly husband, and a godly father in a really difficult culture. And I pray as well for um, Susan and Pamela as they go and meet with the women of that village. Um, They're going to hear stories of things that just will break their hearts and meet with women who live a very difficult life. And I just pray that they can encourage and that they can point their eyes to you, the only one that can meet the deepest needs of their hearts. I pray that we as a church, Father, would... Um, really take it seriously to commit to pray for them uh, for every step of this trip, that you would give them safety as they travel, that you would give them health as they encounter a really different climate and really different food, that um, in every part of this journey they will feel your presence, Lord. And it will be what you want it to be. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. God, I just thank you that you've blessed us, that we could be a blessing. Um, I thank you that um, we have the ability to go and um, send a team to to Africa, to Sierra Leone and Uganda, that um, we can be an encouragement to them, that that they get to be blessed, this team, um, as they go and and, and worship um, as, as one body, both from Africa and from America. God, I just pray that you would um, just ground both teams in your truths, um, that they know that you go before them. Um, you were the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that, um, that you don't change, that um, you hold all things in your hand. Um, I just thank you for the people that get to go. Thank you for the people that get to stay behind. That, that we get to partner with them through prayer um, and, um, and experience things through them. Um, thank you for your great mysteries. Um, 
And thank you for your love.